0: Sifter. For the ear. News. Interviews. Reviews. Cinema. TV. Streaming.
1: Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. Well, the Oscars weren't very special this year, pretty safe and predictable with no surprises or shocks. The highlights were the song performances. In other news, this month marks the 25th year of TVJerry.com on the web. It started as Tales from the Grips, featuring news of Richmond's production community, and 10 years ago, it became Sifter.
0: And if I had a scene where I was in a bathroom or something, I would say to the costume designer, do I have to put on the girdle and the garden? <laughs> on and the... No, because it changes the way you walk. I can't believe that women didn't just suffer from bladder infections all the time.
1: That was returning guest and Richmond native Caroline Aaron talking about having to wear a girdle and garters as Shirley Maisel in Amazon's primetime Emmy award winning series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which enters its fourth and final season on April 15th. This time we talk about her mother, Richmond icon Nina Abadie, getting cast and working on Mrs. Maisel, her one woman play that became a movie, a sitcom she's shooting with Henry Winkler, and seeing Leah Michelle in Funny Girl on Broadway.
0: Sifter Review of the Week.
1: History of the World Part Two on Hulu. Mel Brooks created Part One in 1981. This sequel is a series created by Nick Kroll, Dyke Barinholtz, and Wanda Sykes, with Brooks in the mix as advisor and announcer. The eight-parter features sketches from various history highlights, including the Russian Revolution with Johnny Knoxville as Rasputin in a jackass takeoff, Shirley Chisholm, Wanda Sykes as the politician in a 70s black sitcom, and Jesus Christ, with Abbott Elementary creator Quinta Brunson as Mary Magdalene. But the most clever is Taika Watiti as Sigmund Freud. There are a few silly songs and lots of other comic cameos. This is Mel Brooks at his best, generally smart satire, and his worst, broad stick that falls flat. For every joke that lands, there are several that stink, so it really depends on the viewer's taste for dumb versus clever. Although for me, they're trying too hard and most often not funny. I gave it two and a half out of five stars. Caroline Aaron, for a minute, let's just talk. I don't want to dwell too much on your mom, but of course, this is Richmond, and the great Nina Abadie was your mother. Footnote. Nina Abadie was a civil rights activist and Richmond icon who also founded such events as Downtown Presents, Friday Cheers, and the Second Street Festival. What was it like growing up in her household?
0: She was... Remarkable and interesting and incredibly strict. You know, it was like when Connie was talking about the stuff that we did. As mild as that sounds, for me to go off the reservation in any way was taking a a really big chance. um, Because my mother was basically a single mother. But I mean, the remarkable people that I was exposed to growing up, that none of my peer group was because of my mother's work in the civil rights movement.
1: She walked with Martin Luther King in Selma, is that correct? Yes, she
0: did. I even remember growing up, I got a lot of joy and pride out of saying that I was that woman's daughter. Necessity being the mother of invention. After my father died, she had to get a job and she got a job at Virginia Union University. Footnote
1: Virginia Union University is a private, historically black university that was founded in 1865.
0: She ended up at that time in Richmond sort of being a man without a country because the Jewish community was like, What are you doing? She was the only white person at Virginia University. So she didn't really belong to the black community. And then she decided to put those two communities together. So I had the best of both possible worlds. When it was Passover and we would have Seder, my mother had what she called a freedom Seder. And that was African-Americans and members of the community and members of the Jewish community around our table in the dining room, all talking about. What freedom meant. So wow. it makes me sad that Richmond, and as well as the rest of this country, I keep thinking about my mother and going, "What would she think? What would she think of what's going on now?"
1: I read there was a cross burning in her yard, but that was not when you were a child. That was yes,
0: pre- yes, that definitely was. And when I went to college, oh, it was. What do you? Were you there when that happened? Yes, and they. The worst thing that happened was that they threw eggs at our dog. You know because. My mother was very interfaced with the black community of Richmond. And that just was not done. And her best friend was the librarian, Verdell Bradley. And they went on long road trips together. Wow. You know, to yeah. visit family and stuff like that. And I didn't even realize how brave that was until I grew up.
1: Well, now you mentioned your sister, and I know she directed you at some points. Footnote. Caroline's sister is director Josephine Abadie.
0: She ran the Berkshire Theater Festival she ran the Cleveland Playhouse and she ran Circle in the Square. And when she was at the Berkshire Theater Festival, I went up one summer and I did a play for her. But may I say, I had to audition many times. <laughs> really? Before she said yes. Wow. I was not a Nepo baby, as they call them today. <laughs> right. I had to earn my stripes with her. That's for sure. She was very, very strict. And the last time I was in Richmond, which I will be back at the end of this month, as you know, the last time I was there was to see her production of Wit at the Virginia Museum Theater. Oh, wow. Which was like 21 years that ago. That was
1: a long, I probably reviewed that, yeah, yeah.
0: And she died soon after that. Right, and she right. wanted to direct a play about dying of cancer. And I brought my kids down and it was pretty amazing. And that was the last time I was there.
1: Going back to your mother and Mrs. Maisel, she wasn't really a housewife and you are not really a housewife because you were an actor. Yeah. And I know there was a big thing on period authenticity, did you ever have to wear a girdle in real life?
0: Yes. And let me just say, we had to in that show. The architecture under those clothes would be quite surprising to people. And uh-huh. I'd come in and if I was just had a scene where I was like in a bathroom or something, I would say to the customer designer, do I have to put on the girdle and the garment on <laughs> the Can I just wear Spanx and pantyhose? No, because it changes the way you want. I mean, I can't believe that women didn't just suffer from bladder infections all the time. <laughs> Or dehydration, because you'd go, okay, don't drink anything. Because getting out of this underwear was quite something. But every time I would walk onto that set, I would miss my mother because the clothes, I mean, everything was so authentic and it felt, I had to wear white gloves to go downtown. When I was growing up, everything was much more formal
1: than
0: it is today. You know, Even when it was just my mother and her children and we would have dinner, we had to dress up for dinner. We couldn't run in from outside. Wow. with you know dirty clothes on. We changed for dinner.
1: So how did you get the part in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel?
0: You know, I, that I don't know. I did not audition, which was great. The creator of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel also created Gilmore Girls. Right. And I didn't know anything about Gilmore Girls, but my daughter was obsessed with it. I think she must have watched every episode a dozen times. And every time I'd walk through the living room, Gilmore Girls was on and she said, "Mommy." If the grandmother and the mother in this show had a baby, it would be you. You have to watch this with me. It was seven seasons, so we made a deal that we would watch every single episode of Gilmore Girls together, but we wouldn't watch the last episode until the night before I dropped her off at college, because that's the story of the show. It's a single mother raising this girl, and she drops her off at Yale at the end of the series. So we kept our promise, and in a hotel room right before I dropped her off at the Rhode Island School of Design... We were lying in bed watching on my laptop the last episode of Gilmore Girls. And then I had to, you know, give her away and take her to school. And cut to, my agent called me and said that Amy Sherman Pallandino wanted to talk to me about a new series she was doing. And I said, yes, let me just say, the currency that I will get with my daughter, if I work with the creator of Gilmore Girls, you just can't buy that kind of admiration from your aunt. From your own children. Right. I was so excited. And ironically enough, Tony Shaloub lived around the corner from me in Los Angeles. Footnote.
1: Tony Shaloub is best known for the TV series Monk, and he plays Rachel's dad in Mrs. Maisel.
0: And we're very dear friends for many years. And Tony said that he was going to New York to do a new series. Oh, wow. And I went, oh, great. And then they called and said, you know, Amy is interested in you in playing this part. And I went, oh, I wonder if it's to be Tony's. Wife, it turned out no, used to be Tony's nemesis in a way, <laughs> but it was the same show. And Amy just described to me what she had in mind for this character: that there are two families, the Weissmans and the Mazels, and in lots of ways they are the history of the immigration of Jews to New York at that time. And the Weissmans are very assimilated and want to belong to, you know, the American dream. Right. And the Mazels are a little behind; they still have a little bit of that shtetl mentality yeah. that they came over with. So it was very interesting.
1: Now, I know that Palandina does minimal takes. She likes to rehearse a lot, which is great for a theater person. Yes. And with all that dialogue, you gotta rehearse.
0: Almost everybody in the show has a background in the theater, including the, the writers. Her writer's room is full of playwrights and she rehearses and rehearses and rehearses so she can just do one take, but it'll be eight pages. And you so don't want to be the person that makes the mistake. Really? <laughs> were you, know you ever? Yes. I mean, like, <laughs> not often, but it was kind of a blind panic, right. especially like at the Wonder Wheel, where you have Tony walking kids, walking me, handing out ice cream, you know, making our way to the Wonder Wheel, getting our tickets, standing in line. All of that, we must have rehearsed for the whole day. Wow. And then when she feels like we know what we're doing, which we hope we do, it's action. She just gets one or two takes and we move on.
1: Well, well, it keeps that energy up that way, obviously. Yes, it does. Uh, And you said the dialogue is so great. Do you ever get to make suggestions, or do you have to stick word for word, letter for letter?
0: Letter for letter, comma for comma. Very unusual in TV. And I tell people about it, and they go, oh, my God, our friends of mine who were auditioning, I went, do not paraphrase. Do not invent anything. Don't make any contributions. Right. right. However, you know what I mean? And I did other work while I was doing Maisel, and it was just so different, but When you have a vision, like she and Dan had such a vision of this show, there's room for your interpretation, but not in the writing. And the writing stays exactly the same. And I had to ask questions sometimes about what they necessarily meant. But, you know, we would get the scripts really late. And it worked very differently than any television show I've ever done. And in the last season, Dan finally explained it to us because he said, I would say when by the time we give you guys the scripts, it's been rewritten at least 60 times wow. um, until we know we have the script we want to shoot.
1: Footnote. Daniel Palladino is Amy's husband and partner in the series.
0: A lot of times on television, you get the script, you do the table read, you go home, they all collaborate. The next day you come back, you have a completely different script or a script that's greatly altered because once they hear it, they know things they want to do with it. So we would get the scripts like the night before, and poor Rachel, who was doing all the heavy lifting. Right. With all of that dialogue, we'd have, we'd have very little time to learn this.
1: Footnote. Rachel is Rachel Brosnahan, who is the lead in Miss Maisel.
0: I'm very excited for people to see the last and final season. They really outdid themselves.
1: I guess you can't tell us anything, can you?
0: No, I can't tell you anything really you would. that would be substantial, but except for that you don't have to wait much longer. That's true. It's coming next month, and it's really spectacular. How has
1: it changed your life? I'm, I'm sure you get recognized more.
0: I do get. I get recognized more, more for my voice than for how I. Of course. People don't necessarily look at me and see Shirley because, as I said about Shirley, she was very gift wrapped, <laughs> even starting in the morning. There bracelets, earrings. And, you know, there was this costume designer and I had so much fun putting together all of the jewelry and And she would find these fabrics and everything was authentic. And she was making a pantsuit for me. And I said, well, now you can see Shirley from outer space because it was <laughs> the biggest pattern that I've ever seen. And I kept thinking, I look like a sofa. <laughs> Shirley enjoyed that. And that was really fun. It has changed my life in that obviously, People know the show, so they know me in ways that they've never known before. But you know that thing they say about show business. It takes 10 years for people to know who you are, and then the next 10 years to convince them that you're not who they think you are.
1: Right.
0: You know what I mean? So it's <laughs> yeah. not, you have to almost pry people's hands away from this expectation that, you know, from here on, I will be surely. Any actor wants to do, they want to kind of spread it out over many different things. And
1: speaking of which, you did spread it out. One of the plays you did that became a movie called Waiting. Yes. It takes place in 1999. You shot it in 2004. Tell us the evolution of what that's about.
0: That is a true story of the play. Absolutely, 100% autobiographical. It started out as a play, and she had a non-threatening but very painful medical condition called interstitial cystitis, so that every time she would pee, it would burn. And they couldn't figure out a way to make her comfortable. And so she would just sort of lie in bed, defeated. And she talked on the phone all day long. And she said that if you just listened to someone's, only their end of their phone calls during a day, by the end of the day, you would know everything about them. Uh We have texting, which probably would ruin that theory and also she was uh, first generation. She was the daughter of Holocaust survivors. She was born in displaced persons, came to Flatbush originally with her family, and then they moved to the West Coast. And when she was an adult, her older sister found out that her father had been killed at Auschwitz and the man she thought was her father was her father's brother. Right. This was not unusual. Lots of people got married, apparently in displaced persons. And when they came to America... They just wanted to represent to their daughters that they were a nuclear family. So they never told their older daughter who her father was. And a cousin went back to Auschwitz and apparently they have a a record. The cousin came back and said to Gloria, the older sister of the playwright, I found your father, and she was in her thirties. Wow. And she never spoke to her family again.
1: Wow, wow. never
0: spoke to her mother or her sister. And I was doing a play in L.A. And this playwright was already in rehearsal with her play. And she said, "Um, that's the actress I want to do this. And I was on my way back to New York. I had just gone to L.A. to do this play. And she tracked me down and said, I want you to do my play. And my agents were like, you don't want to do a play in Los Angeles. And I went, why not? And they went, don't do plays in Los Angeles. But I love the material and I love the playwright. And they said, well, if you're gonna do it, we don't wanna see posters up all over that say six smash month. You can just do it for a couple of months. Well, of course, cut to, became a huge hit. It moved theaters, it became a film. And I ended up staying in LA for 25 years (laughs) as a result of that play. So that's kind of how it came about. And you know, the filmmaker who made the movie of it just saw the play at the theater and said, I wanna make a film of this. And I just assumed that he would open it up and you would see all of those other people that were real people. But he said, no, no, no. I want to keep the integrity of how she wrote it. But he explained to me that when you are at a play, you look down at your program, you look at the back of the head of the person in front of you, you look at the far wall of the set. He said, we call that editing in film. He said, you can't just have one person on film. You have to have something to cut to. So he had another writer write the second character. That I would play in Call Waiting, which was the actress playing this character, and that they would somehow blend together and have an impact on each other. Oh, okay. And the playwright was so generous to let her play, be torn apart for this film opportunity. But... Oh,
1: okay. Oh, so so that's interesting. So the story that happens in the movie is true, but the part about the actor is not true. That that's true. not oh, true. Cool. Okay, that makes sense. Well, first of all, I'm assuming there was nobody ever on the other end of the phone. You were just talking to the air.
0: I was just talking to the air, Right, right.
1: absolutely. How did you identify the difference between when that character was on camera as the actor and when she was at the makeup table usually?
0: Yeah, it was very scripted and they were very different women in the way that, you know, the director sort of like described them to me. The actress playing this character was not generous, not kind.
1: She was a bitch, basically. She
0: was, a bitch. she was in a family person. She was a narcissist, the exact opposite of the character she was playing. And I do think this is true of acting, and they want it incrementally as I was doing it for the character to really sort of seep into the veins of the actress. And just very much at the end of that movie, where she bequeaths a big basket that she's received to somebody who's helped her. And that was a beginning of her being changed Uh by having spent time in the skin of a woman who is not at all like that. So, you know, that was really exciting.
1: It was an interesting production process. It was shot on video and it looked like there were usually at least two cameras so that you didn't have to do a lot of retakes of scenes. What was that? How long was that? And whose house was it?
0: One of the, uh, Don Rude's one of the writer's house and my house put together, like I would walk up the stairs in my house and down the stairs in their house.
1: Because
0: uh-huh. um, obviously it was very low budget. I did a movie with Gwyneth Paltrow called Bounce. Right. Which was directed by the same guy, Don Ruse, who was the producer of Call Waiting. So yeah, we kind, of, you know, we were kind of all in the foxhole together. It was right. really great.
1: So that's the fun of those independent films. And you got some great scenes. I mean, the ice cubes and the massage yeah. chair and the yes. mantra, which just I had the hoot. That was just, it was a lot of fun. I, I was wondering if it was your house because there were pictures that were obviously, so that would make sense. So one last question, how was your neck? Because that's a lot of time spent all day pretty much with your neck holding a phone.
0: I think the adrenaline of being in front of a camera and talk about, you know, having to learn lines, that was like an 85 page monologue. Yeah. And you're dealing with such a reduced budget, you really have to be on top of your game. So I think it was just that adrenaline that saved my neck. I know, isn't it amazing? Um, how much phone habits have evolved with technology and Amy Sherman Palandino said she doesn't want to direct anything that takes place after a certain date because we communicate without talking yeah. so much now so for writers, you can't put a phone call within a script to move a story forward or whatever. Cause and you know, you'll see a lot in television shows and movies where they put the texts on screen. Oh yeah. And you said, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just gonna make all period things yeah. when we actually talk to each other. Yeah.
1: So you lived in Richmond obviously for a while, and you mentioned earlier some of the interesting issues with racism. How do you feel about the fact that the monuments are gone?
0: I could not believe it. I went, I passed those monuments every single day of my life. I think it's a a really you know, it is a complicated thing. I think it's a great thing that people don't have to look out their window and see a tribute to the Civil War. I really am in favor of that. The artistry of those sculptures, just as an artist, I go, what is going to happen to them? Uh, they do bear witness to Richmond's history, which is, it has a lot to apologize for and a lot to be proud of, as I every place in this country does. I think it's a good thing that they're down a really good thing. And I don't know what, I wish they would replace them with something equally majestic.
1: They will eventually, there's of course committees and commissions, so it'll be 10 years before anything happens and half the people will hate it, but you know, that's the way it is. You're working on a production now or have you finished, is it Chansey?
0: Yes, I finished that. It's been released during Maisel. I went to Israel to play opposite Henry Winkler in a new Israeli series that just came out, it went to Sundance. I think they're trying to sell it to America. Most of it is in Hebrew. So we wouldn't understand it, including me.
1: I was gonna Um, say, could you speak Hebrew or did you just have to
0: learn it? No, we were the English part of the story. We had a great eight days there. It was like a drive by, it was so quick. Wow, wow. But really thrilling.
1: It must've been fun to work with Henry Winkler because it is a comedy, I'm assuming.
0: It is a comedy and let me just say, he's been famous for 50 years. And I have never heard a bad word about him. Right. And there is a reason. He is one of the true angels on earth.
1: And he's so talented and he's great and everything. And Barry, he's great. Oh, so great. You have, of course, this great distinctive voice and you have done at least one video game, Fallout. Yeah. How was that? Was that crazy
0: fun? First of all, when you raise kids, you know, video games are your enemy. Right. So, you know, I'm like going, put it away, put it away. But to see how complicated they are they're so complicated that the minds that think them up i don't have that kind of mind and i'm just in awe of it yes i would love to do more it's really fun what was your character i can't even remember now but i know that they show you the drawing and sometimes what they do i've auditioned for this but haven't gotten they put you in these suits these right you know what i mean and you're jumping around motion
1: capture suits yeah
0: they're copying you and then they'll draw to you right And, you know, that is technology that it's like lightning speed, how that keeps evolving.
1: I don't want to keep you much longer, but I did want to congratulate you on your 40th anniversary with your husband Yeah, and your two kids. You mentioned that one of them went to RISD. Are they both in the arts? No. And aren't you glad?
0: Yeah. Oh, so glad. My son is a major athlete working in sports, which was like proof that your children come through you, not from you. Because <laughs> I always said in the dictionary, under irony, it should say, I gave birth to an athlete. Yeah. He started working in sports in Manhattan, and my daughter graduated from RISD, then moved to Joshua Tree six months ago, got a residency at the Museum of Art and Design in Manhattan. The wow. whole brood ended up in Manhattan, and my son had a baby oh. um, three months ago, so a brand new grandmother of baby Emma. So we're all in one place, which is so ironic.
1: That's great, and that's wonderful for you, especially being a grandma,
0: have your your grandma.
1: So you're gonna be here on the 16th. How often do you get back to Richmond?
0: I haven't been back since my sister died in 2001. I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing that I haven't been back. I don't have any immediate family there anymore. My mother's legacy is there in every way. And when people work in Richmond, they always go see the Nine F Abadie Festival Park and they'll send me pictures, which is really exciting. And of course, my parents are buried there. And I said to my husband, we have to go to the cemetery. There's lots of places I want to go to. It'll be, it will be a very emotional trip because it's been a long time. Absolutely.
1: And you'll be, your mind will be blown because so much of it has changed. You won't even recognize parts of the city. Really? Oh, oh yeah, you just wait.
0: Does Monument Avenue look naked like where they were actually a
1: couple of them they've kind of smoothed out the one where Jefferson Davis that long skinny thing that yeah. still is weird and it's actually kind of a traffic hazard now and they've put a a big had a Jersey wall and now they just have a fence around the Lee Circle but there's nothing there and they keep saying we're going to put something we're going to put something so yeah, it's it's not very special right there now unfortunately the last question I, well before I ask the last question I have to just say this because nobody's going to get to see this but me you have such great hair
0: Oh, thank you so much. What do you do to keep it that way or to make it that way? I just had it cut. I think that's just, you know, that was just... uh, Jeans. Jeans. That's absolutely jeans. My son has it. I know. My son has it. My daughter has it. We just, we all got some good hair.
1: That's very fortunate. And so what do you do to relax? I always like to ask everybody, what are you watching when you don't? have to
0: work on a show. Well, how about that pandemic turned me, I need an intervention, sort of turned me into a TV (laughs) addict. Yeah, yeah. I just watched TV for two years and it's brilliant. When they used to describe the golden age of television, I think we might be living through it.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Don't
0: you think so? I go to the theater now that I'm in New York. I mean, it's so expensive, but that is my most pleasurable thing to do. So I would say that is my relaxation. And what have you seen lately? I just saw Funny Girl. Oh, wow. And how it was she? Down. And she is so spectacular. Wow. Yeah, I wow. just cried through the whole thing because it was so great. I have
1: to just say real quickly, my first Broadway show in 1964 was Barbara in Funny Girl. Oh, no, you saw Barbara. Yes.
0: Bobby. I feel like I saw something equally spectacular in Leah and Michelle. It was really thrilling. Wow. There's so many things on television. And I also will admit that I am an MSNBC junkie. We have on the news all the time, like, white noise. I've gotten uh-huh. very Invested in what's going on in our world in ways I haven't been before because I feel like we all need to pitch in and save it a little bit yeah, as it yeah. goes down the drain.
1: Just, as long as you don't get too frustrated and scream at the screen all the time. I
0: do. You don't. <laughs> Throwing things at the television. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mom, turn off the TV and go do something. I go, oh, I know because I'm like screaming at the TV. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs>
1: Well, Caroline, this has been fascinating and wonderful and great to meet you Zoom-wise. Thank you, Jerry. Well, I see you in live in person. I will be there live in person on the 18th. Terrific. I'm so looking forward to it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jerry, and I'll see you soon. That was Richmond native Caroline Aaron, who's best known for her role in Amazon's Primetime Emmy Award-winning series, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which enters its fourth and final season on April 15th. Caroline will be the featured speaker at the Adolph Adams JCC Forum on March 16th. There are links to all this stuff on the webpage at tvjerry.com. And I'll post a review of her one-woman show, Call Waiting, tomorrow on TV Jerry. Coming soon. In theaters. Shazam! Fury of the Gods. The sequel to the 2019 original adds Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu to the cast. A snowy day in Oakland. A psychiatrist from San Francisco opens her own private practice in a predominantly black neighborhood. Moving on. Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin are together once again as two friends who team up to murder someone from their past, also starring Malcolm McDowell and Richard Roundtree. Inside. Willem Dafoe plays an art thief who gets trapped in a New York penthouse and must fight to survive. TV and streaming. Swarm on Amazon Prime. This is a new series about a fan whose obsession with a pop star goes dark. Ted Lasso returns to Apple for season three with episodes coming on Wednesday instead of Fridays. Also on Apple, Extrapolations features eight interwoven international stories framed around climate change, with a cast including Meryl Streep, Kit Harington, David Diggs, and Edward Norton. Boston Strangler on Hulu, a drama about the famed killer starring Keira Knightley, Carrie Coon, and Chris Cooper. Marie Antoinette on PBS, an eight-part biopic about the last queen of France. Bono and the Edge, a sort of homecoming with David Letterman on Disney, features the duo in interviews and an intimate concert. You can subscribe to this podcast on all the basic services, or you can go to tvjerry.com, click on the podcast tab, and there's a link. This is Jerry Williams. See you next week. For more Sister, including literally
0: thousands Thousands of reviews, reviews. visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.